Okay, so it says, insiders reporting, based on conversations with 11 current and former Apple employees and the review of dozens of documents, did I not say that after Facebook they're going to come after Apple? And they're going to come after the documents and the former employees. Did I not say this was going to happen? Did I not say an hour ago this was going to happen? You did. (laughs) Even earlier this week or late last week. Yeah. So here they are with documents and former employees. And it says uh, dozens of documents raises important questions about Apple's efforts to entrench itself into the healthcare sector. Yes, very important questions. I have super important questions about Apple going into health. This this really raises some very important questions. I I mean, we all have these very important (laughs) questions, don't we now, about Apple going into health based on these incredible revelations of of concerns that people are expressing? (laughs) I mean, does it get heavier than that? And while health once looked like the next domino to fall in Apple's expanding empire, there are signs that achieving Tim Cook's ambitions may be more costly and turbulent than Apple expected. Yeah, if they can't look after the health of their employees, how can they look after health care for everybody? Come so on. Let me summarize. Going into health care is more costly and turbulent than Apple expected. And so... There it is. What a surprise. Health health is difficult. There's the headline. Apple's app, the world's biggest company is going into health and now it raises some really big questions because people are expressing concerns because it's difficult. It's a difficult space this healthcare stuff. I would love, can I get this job, please, where I call up my friends who work at different companies or who used to work at different companies and be like, hey, why didn't you guys ever release that product? Well, because it was turned out to be kind of hard. Oh, really? Hold on. Let me write this blog post. <laughs> this just in. Somebody tried to do something and it was difficult. Stay tuned. We have the, we have the uh, whistleblower coming up with an interview tomorrow. Sweet Jesus. Okay, so the next one is source uh, Reuters. It says they have sources that the, Uni- the European Union plans to fine Apple over the iPhone's NFC chip, focusing on Apple Pay terms and blocking rivals' access. The- More of that part, I imagine. Charge sheet could be sent to Apple next year. Boy, they really run the... Watch out, China. You think you're fast? The EU is going to find you, and they're going to tell you next year what it's about. They're going to send you that email sometime next year. Keep an eye out for that email in 2022. We just made a decision. Holy shit. The EU made a decision. We'll let you know what it is next year. China, in the meantime, has done, you know... 20 laps around the pool while the EU is putting on its flippy wings to get in the pool. Nintendo Switch OLED review. Beautiful screen, nice kickstand, and extra storage, but some old Joy-Con controllers and no performance improvements. TechCrunch says they have a report. For at least two years, Amazon has 
invested $50 million a year to develop a refrigerator that can monitor usage and suggest products and recipes to your lazy ass. Because you're, you moved out of mom's basement and you can't cook for yourself. Right? It's a dream come true. This is why geeks are going to be geeks, because we're lazy. We're going to come up, engineer some solution so you can put that spoon in my mouth for me. And we will keep innovating until that day. So, Apple, uh, next one from Forbes. Tyler, will it also tell you if the food is fresh that you have in your fridge? You better believe it. This is going to be the freshest food ever. And I'm just waiting for the smart diaper. So that I can know just how fresh that food was. Smart diapers, everybody. Are you in? The silver economy is going to be huge. And there's a shit ton of money to be made in smart diapers. No pun intended. Amazon updates Alexa on iOS and Android with an opt-in feature to make Alexa wait longer for users to finish speaking. To help those with speech impediments. Well, that's clever. Amazon on Tuesday is adding a new feature to, to the Alexa app that forces Alexa to wait longer in order for a person to finish speaking. Because it's kind of rude, I'm Alexa, when you, you keep interrupting me. I'm seriously so, telling you, Alexa would take over. They would be the big AI of the future. Seriously. It's, it's just crazy. Adding, uh, you know, the radar to it, Adding uh, this mesh technology to the Alexa and your neighbors is connecting with each other, listening more. So they would have more data than anybody else in the world uh, in three, four years. Mm. Crazy. I think, think, yes. Can you check the hand raise? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Here we go. Who's got their hand up? We got Messi still with that hand up. And Dr. Francine Hardaway and Netta. Okay. John Medicine. I don't. John doesn't have his hand up though. Where's John? Let me look down there. Let's. We got Jonathan. Who else we got in there? What do we got? Well, you bring the guys up. Tyler Tyler, on the healthcare stuff about Apple. Yeah. What you need? Hold on. Let me turn my music off. Um. Shit. That's not gonna work. Tyler. Yes. What do you need, Tyler? Hold on. Francine's going to make a comment about Apple Health. Yes, because Francine has been following Apple since the 80s, and many of the high-level executives have been there, and Apple is now having a a generational change that comes Mm. from a lot of retirements of people who've been there for a long time Mm. and who... And who are enormously well off mm-hmm. and can afford to retire. And as you pointed out, there's been COVID. So a lot of people have relooked at their priorities. And actually, as someone who knows the healthcare industry pretty well, because I uh, advise several hundred startups in it, Apple has made a, an enormous and quick gains in getting into healthcare. It's notoriously slow, and this this point that was made about the the records being hard for the doctors because they don't know what to make of them, they're going to have to figure out a way 
for the patient to present them to the doctor in a way that doesn't overwhelm a doctor who has 2,500 patients. Yeah. So, but, but they'll get in because no, they will, they'll get into systems. They'll, they, it's not, yeah, they're going to, Apple will do that. That's the thing. They didn't yeah, they're going to make it. I mean, they're clearly going to make it. Right. They'll, it'll be an algorithm, same as like what our whoop and or and all those things now that, that take all that raw data and give me a, you know, a daily score. They'll be able to figure out what it is doctors need and then hopefully integrate. But again, that's an antiquated industry. And so it's, yeah. it's challenging in, in that way, but they'll absolutely get there. And I think it'll be great. They'll get there by some kind of pattern matching. But, it, right. it, you know, where they'll, the algorithms will see the differences. If my blood pressure has been running these same two numbers for weeks and suddenly it goes up astronomically, that's the, right. the alert to the doctor. It'll, right. It'll give the doctor the, re, the, the impression or the readout interpretation of it, not the raw data, which is what people were, were previously giving. But it'll also integrate with the systems, hopefully, so that doctors can use these for um, monitoring patients as well. So they'll, it'll, you know, come into their systems in a, in a manner that's useful to them. Okay. What do we got here? Okay. Next one is, um, Google announces the pixel six virtual launch event will be on October 19th at 10 AM Pacific time. Immediately after we go through the headlines on October 19th. So join us for that. We'll do the live stream. Utah-based Pattern, which helps e-commerce brands optimize sales, raises $225 million at a $2 billion valuation. EU Parliament overwhelmingly votes for a non-binding resolution banning police use of facial recognition and the controversial AI-powered predictive policing. So no more facial rec in the EU, although the UK just added it. The London police just officially became, became a user of uh, Japan's NPR yeah, we recognition. Re we reported on that, didn't we? On the, yeah. the cost of the software, Tyler. It's strange, isn't it? Yep. Okay. Oh, just a quick comment on the Alexa feature that they're rolling out. Uh -huh. Did you not think that it was like a, what would you say, like a um, non, non requiring development feature? I.e., it just. You know, you, you you say your words, it parses into the corpus. The corpus then does a time delay. You're just really putting in a time delay. I, I don't know. Would, if I, on, on that previous headline where they said for people with um, well, speech impediments. I think, if, in, I mean, I, I don't really care what happened today in Amazon's update to Alexa. What I'm, what I'm, <laughs> what I'm concerned, what I think inevitably is going to happen is Alexa is going to learn to understand your pace of speaking. And your and tailorize, customize its response based on your speech patterns. And it's going to know some people speak like I do, where I interrupt myself and I start making a point and then I interrupt myself and, you know, I kind of bob and weave as I make points. And Alexa will understand that that's part of my speaking style, that I might what seems like the end of a sentence might not be. And. Where other people, it is. It's very easy to predict, oh, that's the end of their sentence. And for other people, they talk and then they pivot and then they move and the jib and they jive and then they finish their thought, you know, in a weird way, like I sometimes do. I think these AIs like Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant are going to understand that in the very near future. So what they did today, that's nice. 
but we're we're gonna make no mistake you know this is just the daily update of the baby steps it's like watching photos of your cousin's kid you know here baby sally took her first steps today okay that's great i'm pretty sure sally's gonna be walking just fine in about three years i don't (laughs) i don't need to know you know that she fell down today you have zero kids (laughs) no but i know what's gonna happen to little sally you know um and so a lot of these headlines where the tech journalists are trying to point out you know weird little things it's like that's they're not totally relevant to the bigger picture of where this is all going yeah i hear you and just a quick comment on that apple one yeah like to what extent is the health area like the poor cousin to the the mothership on the the products and the the hardware like do you, does anyone know because I, I just imagine like I know uh, Dr. Francine outlined, like, she, you know, the, the kind of retirement wave that's coming in. But does anyone have a read on, you know, whether there's general moaning of underinvestment or is it massively invested in and they're getting the attention or I don't know. Do, do you know, do you know the point I'm making? I.e. Apple, you think the core product set and then all of these other things being to an extent experiments. I, I would say that Apple Watch uh, is part of their core product set, and healthcare is the major use case for Apple Watch. And until um, until they really get their glasses sorted out, they are depending for income on Apple Watch. So I would assume, and uh, you know, like all my Apple following blogger friends assume that healthcare is one of their biggest investments. Okay, next one. And Just quickly on Tyler, on this yep. particular point, what Dave said, um, you know, first of all, you have to understand, like, let's say if three seconds, and that's what the command time is, and it just goes dead after that. You know, if you increase that to like five or seven seconds, what's going to happen is there are other people in the house, and usually, let's say you have like about three, four Alexas in one in bedroom, one in the kitchen, and uh, one in another sitting room or something like that. Um, effectively, what is happening is that you're creating this like in-house system where you can actually not just only doing a command to just one Alexa, uh, but if it is increased to like about seven seconds or five seconds, then effectively other people are also sort of like other voices are coming into this. And if you go into the log, every single command has been written as a text. So if you go into your Alexa app, like you will see that this is what the commands you actually given at that particular time. But then it also logs in what is not just about the command, what is just like talking rubbish. Like if somebody is actually talking in the background, that is also logged. And this is what I was referring to earlier on, that it's not just simply about the actual, you know, bit more polishing and bit more improving the algorithm, but also, um, you know, taking more feedback from other people who are actually in the... Uh, in the background. So for instance, in one case, um, you know, my Alexa, my prime videos, everything is in the system. They have control pretty much on everything. They know what kind of movies I watch. Uh, they know what command I have given, what kind of thermostats has been actually running and connected with it and all the other devices like lights and everything. So when that happens, it's only connected with one account in the house. And that's how every every other device actually works. But 
now they are without the cameras realizing that how many people are actually living in that particular house because you that you have those voice samples now and the talks like the what the way kid actually talk to the alexa is going to be different obviously it's in the same account um the woman talks to the alexa it's going to be the same different thing so slowly they'll establish pretty much everything that what is happening in that environment and how many people are there and the, what we were discussing a couple of days ago like in terms of the actual um uh, you know the frequency and the pitch and the voice and uh, they can establish the the mood we have like for instance you are really jolly today which i noticed like when you were talking about the actual uh, the article about apple and if the, if through voice they can uh, sense the sentiments of not just you but the people actually in the background then they can actually draw some sort of conclusion that what sort of have things that are happening in the background and what environment you are in so that's what i was referring to that this is such an amazing amazing data they can be actually having um in the long run and they're going to be in the best position um to sort of like build something on it so yeah okay so the next one up is an indian cryptocurrency exchange like a coinbase for india although coinbase works in india but india's got their own uh called coinswitch uh raises 260 million dollars led by Andreessen Horowitz and Coinbase. So there you go, you got to invest in your competitor. That works. At a 1.9 billion valuation, Andreessen Horowitz's first Indian investment. Well done, India. There there isn't as much competition though, honestly, um because a lot of the exchanges are limited in terms of their jurisdiction like you know who governs them where they can go and they enter into problems if they cross into another jurisdiction and they also have fiat on ramps so like coinbase has is in a few other countries and has on on ramps in that currency but primarily it's a US dollar based currency uh based exchange and that's really where we get this very intense regionality because those on ramps right now are not at all universal so um you're going to have a bunch of different exchanges but bit oasis uh faraz sent something saying bit oasis got like 30 million in dubai so asia minus china and um and mina the middle eastern region the um north africa they're they're going to pull ahead in in the crypto markets like in the entire economy mm-hmm. amazon opens its first non food physical store in the uk using data from website sales to stock popular products expanding beyond the US for the first time outlet at blue water shopping center in kent is the f- retailer's first four star shop outside the US amazon's bolstering its uk high street presence uh with the opening of its first non-food physical shop offering its best-selling lines of books, electronics, toys, games and homewares which would kind of put it in line with Best Buy. Electronics, toys, games and homewares, what what would that describe exactly? The outlet at the Blue Water Shopping Center in Kent is the online retailer's first four-star na-na-na. The range of products sold in the store will change regularly. Oh, that's wild. With Amazon staff responding to customer feedback and new product releases, Amazon opened its first store in New York in 2018. The concept gets its name from the idea that all of the goods 
the goods sold there have been rated at least four stars by shoppers. The Blue Water store in Amazon's latest venture into UK brick and mortar retailing after a string of other recent trials, including a fashion pop-up, a tillless or cashierless cashierless Amazon fresh grocery store in West London, and even a high-tech hair salon in London. Andy Jones, the director of Amazon's four-star, they call it the four-star store because all the products are rated at least four stars. And so they said that the company had been working on the UK outlet since before the coronavirus pandemic. We are obviously just getting, we are obviously just really keen now to get customers in and see what they think. We've, we've seen that the model has worked really well in the malls in the US. So a location like Blue Water made total sense to us. There are Amazon products they will expect, but also local products from small suppliers because that is a huge part of the Amazon business. So the shop also includes displays of products from small business sellers, which are sold through Amazon's marketplace operation. However, Jones would not confirm whether the Blue Water outlet was an industry, an individual trial or whether more UK four-star stores were planned. Richard Lum, the chief executive of consultancy retail economics, suggested that Blue Water store was a trial with the retailer trying to gain more knowledge about customers' behavior. Well, look at the big brain on Richard Lim, everybody. Look at that. He's got himself a consultancy called Retail Economics, and he's saying that Amazon's doing this as a trial to gain more knowledge, some might say data, about customer behavior. You're close, Richard. You're super, super close. You're burning. You're almost hot. You're so hot. You are so close to figuring out exactly what they're going to do. This is another attempt by Amazon to creep into physical retail space. I, I think as far as Amazon is concerned, this is really just another opportunity to do some testing in the market. One of their key motivations and ambitions is to try and gain a much better understanding of how the physical and digital worlds interact. They understand how the digital world works, but they don't have much visibility over the physical world. Lim said that if Amazon did want to open a significant number of stores in the UK, it would do so through an acquisition of an existing high street retailer, as it did in the US when it bought the Whole Foods uh, market grocery chain in 2017. They don't have a big presence in the UK, but they do in the US. If they want to get into the market, they are not going to mess around. They do a test, and if they want to go on, a large-scale acquisition would give the best route. I kind of like this guy, Richard Lim. He seems to have a clue. I, I, I pinged Cal. Let's see if he joins. Uh, Tyler, you made the analogy um, to it being similar to Best Buy. I think it's more similar to Target. When yes. I, it, it's just a matter of how they use homewares. But when yep. I think of, you know, Target without the clothing and, you know, the toiletries, but kind of the, the inner back portion of the store, that yep. really seems to be their sweet spot. Yep. it's a, You're right. I agree. It sounds like Target. And there's one. I think we should start. Calling these new stores by tech companies or physical stores, uh, brick and, and data uh, uh, places. The the photo looks quite Target-ish. There's one photo in the article. Interesting. Next one. It says, Sundar Pichai, the, the CEO of Google, says that Google will invest $1 billion to support 
the digital transformation across Africa, including laying an undersea cable and low interest loans for small and medium bank, uh, small and medium businesses. So Google's going to be giving loans to African small businesses. That means Google's a bank. Google's going to do banking in Africa. Well, yeah, clearly they're not going to do that here. <laughs> the regulatory uh, restrictions are, are enormous. I can't even imagine. So many of these companies are trying to get into banking and then they end up having to back out and say, no, no, we're not going to do the account program. Or, I mean, Coinbase wanted to have a direct deposit into your account, which makes you a bank. <laughs> so they kind of backed off of that one. But uh, I could, I, I think it would be very entertaining if Google tried to become a bank. But, um, but it would kill the rest of their business. So he says in a so, so, Google, so I'm guessing will bypass, it'll bypass banks and go directly to fintech. And, and, and they're doing it because they realize that Africa is an enormous market. But I think it's interesting that they first have to lay the infrastructure. They have to lay the cable and get everybody online before they can lend the money. But in many parts of Africa, capital is so strictly controlled by the government that they have a lot of secondary economies. So I, I don't know, honestly, how that would really... Um, it's assuming that what they're lending is going to be local capital. The economies are so controlled by the governments that the governments are going to want extreme amounts of control over what Google's doing in terms of loans because they don't want to decentralize that particular type of, of control. It is the main form of control of populations in Africa. So um, it, I, I, I don't know that right now the reason that there aren't a ton of banks and stuff is just they've found a lot of alternative methods. They trade minutes. They do all sorts of things. And um, and there's the it, lack of infrastructure has created a couple of different projects, but uh, but even things like exchanges have to work through stores, right? So like Yellow Card has this. Um, the last mile is basically if you want to access your account, you can you can deposit or um, or withdraw from any store that has a Yellow Card in it. There's just operations are very ground level, and for them to want to do all of this infrastructure in different countries, the there isn't enough will to share money to have any sort of pan-African operation, which is what they would need to scale, right? That's what they really need. They need something that's the entire continent. It just isn't going to work that way. They'll go to crypto, just being funny. But uh, I think, a, uh, I think <laughs> that's uh, a pan-country currency. Mabwana? Mabwana was uh, yeah, trying sorry. to jump in. Yeah, so I was gonna just going to follow up on a couple of things. One, there is already a, quite a bit of fintech lending coming into Africa for SMEs. I've invested in one company in, in, in Nigeria, looking at another one in Ghana. And that's the big trend in fintech as well. Uh, in Africa, is that a lot of the fintechs that were maybe doing one thing, obviously now just trying, trying to do lending. There's obviously a microfinance um, aspect to this that um, you know we've had for many, many years, particularly in East Africa with mobile money. M-Pesa allowed more 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 digital lending to happen so i think like yeah and in many countries the bank the government does control banking very uh, tightly for example in ethiopia you just you just can't walk in tanzania similarly you know you'd have to obviously have a bank uh, um license and charter and what are you lending and the other thing as well is that sme lending in africa would be quite risky so you know is google prepared to make the losses here and also obviously you know the a lot of these loans being made and the, and the and the and the clients they'll serve, they obviously want to be self-interested as far as making sure they have an Android phone and 
and build a website that's searchable and on Google Maps, all good things. But obviously, you know, they, they, there'll be a price to pay other than um, than just uh, you know the money. I actually, I actually, I'm surprised by this because Google already does a lot of work with startups uh, and SMEs around giving them grants to you know maybe maybe become better YouTubers or or get some basic digital skills. So I'm kind of curious how they're going to you know do this lending and meet their self interest to connect them onto Google Google Apps and platforms. Yeah, but so sorry. Um, just, I just to, to, to add yes. into that. Um, yeah, like Mbwana said, for example, in Ethiopia, you, you really, no one is allowed, even me as a diaspora, because I gave up my Ethiopian citizenship, um, although they give you special ID card, Ethiopian by origin type of stuff, I wasn't allowed to operate in any form of uh, open, opening a bank or, or even holding a share in a bank. So it's just they are barely opening up that. Um, and also, I think the only open kind of financial uh, activity for foreigners is uh, equity investment. So if they want to do uh, uh, debt financing, it really is controlled by the government and it has to be approved project by project because um, not every sector is open for um, debt financing. And just to, to add into that, just today, actually Google at its first ever, just today, um, Google Africa event that was virtually held announced that um, they're gonna do like $50 million Africa investment fund uh, so like Mbwana said, they used to be doing uh, grants and, and the Africa Accelerator that they do, I think twice or once a year where they do, you know, technical assistance and also some uh, some uh, seed funding and stuff like that. But now they are saying that they're going to venture into uh, also giving access to their employees and also going into early pre-seed stage investments and equity investment and taking a stake in African startups. And they said that they're going to set up that 50 million fund just today, I think this morning or afternoon. Yeah, so this is Vinay. Uh, Google's been doing small business financing for, for a few years already uh, in terms of giving small loans, uh, through Google Pay. It's a line of credit on Google Pay. They've been doing it in Asia. They actually even do it in the U.S., by the way. Uh, uh, Tyler, I tweeted, uh, DM'd you a tweet of some small business financing they're doing in the U.S. So this small business finance loan is not new. It's just that they're bringing it to Africa. Yes, there was an event, as Messi says, there was an event today called uh, Google for Africa, it basically just ended a few hours ago and they had a, it was like an online conference. Basically I'm looking at the schedule now. Uh, one, one of the schedule, they were broken up into little 45 minute sessions and the session number one was how to get your business online and verified on Google search and Google maps. And the title was how to grow your business online with business profiles. And then they had Session number two was how to grow your business online with Google Ads. Learn how to set up a Google Ads account, et cetera, et cetera. And it's basically all the elementary stuff. The next one was getting started with YouTube Shorts, everything you need to know about using YouTube for your business and how to advertise on YouTube and you know how to use Google's products, basically. We want to train Africa how to use Google and uh, all about all of our products and services and how to run ads, how to make accounts, blah, 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 blah. 
And as you said, the to me, the loan thing is really quite interesting and the fintech thing is really interesting. And then Vinay, as he said, did send me a link about Grow with Google Small Business Fund. Minority and women-owned small businesses and their underserved local businesses are facing unprecedented challenges and how small business owners can access the fund. And Well, uh, that's, I, I'd like to know more about that. I have been helping a guy in Uganda in a number of small businesses for about 15 years. And he just gave me a business plan to start a family farm sort of operation to grow food for farmers markets. And what was amazing to me was that I could set him up in business for $500. So that's like an incredibly small amount of money. And it tells me where the African economy is, at least in Uganda. Um, so Dr. Francine, you know, was that a program or, or how did you connect with that, that farmer? I'd love to uh, do that as well. I, um, I, it's not a program. It's a guy that I first met at an orphanage in Uganda when I visited there in 2004. So, and I sent him through college. You know, it's like someone I know. Oh, okay. Uh, so I wouldn't uh, put you in touch with him. Because to me, he's not a stranger. Um, It's quite interesting, actually, here in Ethiopia. There was, like you said, funded um, digital economy in Ethiopia kind of conference uh, that I was part of just, I think, last week. Um, And there was um, marketing and digital presence. And these are Google uh, partners, Google for Business partners. So it was called like Africa 118. And they were teaching exactly what you said, Tyler, that how you can have your uh, business presence in Google, and then you can also be um, discoverable, and and you can be verified by uh, people. How can they can find you on Google Maps and things like that? And also how to do the digital marketing uh, through Google Business and all that uh, for free. So I think they 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 yeah they are partnered with a specific digital company here in in Ethiopia as well. I know that company has presence. I think for African countries, and um, they approached me as well uh, if they if i want the services for free that they are partners with google so they they really are um, trying to have presence on the ground i know that um, google ventures has invested in uh, a number of different platforms in fintech and in crypto and like zend which is this uh, credit union comp like combination so there's a lot of credit unions around um, and the credit unions, uh, they've tried to combine them to make a like a more of a an economy of scale um, and make sure that, you know, loans can get repaid and stuff like that. And I know that um, they did a, an investment in Zend. And I think they were looking at this one, Hervest, which is another, I think it's a Nigerian company. But this is the problem with investing in, <clears throat> in smaller or this one would be considered actually probably a medium sized business. It's this female run. Um, organization where they're uh, basically giving um, giving loans and information. So it's education plus loans to farmers. But the woman who runs it and her team have to literally go to all the farms, right? So it prevents scale because 
just getting to the customers is actually uh, physical work, right? So there's a, and, and Nigeria has a ton of fintech already. There are a few countries. I think there's a, there's a lot of stuff happening in Kenya, um, and uh, uh, um, in what's it called uh, Tanzania. There's a there's a huge amount that's happening as well. So there are a few little like a few areas that are really intensely being um, like being built out, but there are still some structural issues in terms of access. So. I, I would be interested to find out exactly how the investment would work in something where the last mile is literally like putting it in a store or putting it in, um, you know, in, a, you know, the, la the walking to all the different uh, farmers, because the whole model, it, the, you know, the Silicon Valley model is scale with no people, right? No, no headcount increase, huge customer increase. That is the kind of scaling that they like. That is not available right now in Africa. That is not to say it won't be available at some point in the near future. It's just that's against their general model in 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 a in Google, but also like in any you know any Silicon Valley thing. That's just not how they deploy money. So I'd be very interested to find out. Right now, what they do is um they do seed funding and a few things, but for them, it's basically like a tiny amount of money. Um, and they can, which they can put in, and they have to have some scalable aspect like this fintech that's very, that's digital, and deals with crypto, and um, and right now has a, like a lot of free reign. I can't really, I don't know how it's going to work with a, a lot of the more traditional businesses. Yeah, Taylor I was going to add that. Kill me for free. Taylor is going to kill me or kick me out of the room for free advertisement. But we're going to talk about this tonight in the Tech News Africa. So come over. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to add that a lot of this, a lot of this is a new. Let's, let, you know, Google's been around in Africa doing a bunch of different things in different guises for, for you know, over a decade for sure, right? Particularly in Kenya, but now it's broadened. They did stuff in Uganda, building infrastructure there, fiber infrastructure, right? They've been present for a while, but then you know, let's not forget other companies too, like Microsoft has been doing a lot of all of this stuff. What what I kind of you know when I think about tech uh, companies like this kind of coming in trying to help SMEs or startups, I always am a little bit skeptical because uh, as as was mentioned, like they're pushing their their Google products heavily, and some of it's very good. Like for instance, the Google Launchpad uh, Accelerator. Two companies in our portfolio have gone through it. Um, yeah, they do part on good AI skills and data skills, which I think startups need. But like SME on the SME lending side, it's it's super tough, right? I mean. You know, they can't be the banker to tons of SMEs at scale, as was mentioned by it's a, we took me last model here. So I often look at them more of a development partner, right? You, you, you know, if you can think of them as coming in and he helping to lay the groundwork for digital skills and upskilling over time. Um, but, you know, I don't think they're going it's, to, it's kind of, it's kind of a really long-term bet for them. And they're coming in and helping develop the ecosystem at the same time. So, so they have to go in early and lay the pipes as well as, as, as private services. Okay, next up is uh, Financial Times. It says they have done analysis that Amazon has secured around $650 million in tax breaks from U.S. local and state governments so far in 2021 as incentives to expand one-day and same-day delivery, or as incentives to expand one-day and same-day delivery. Online shopping giant pushes for incentives as it speeds up distribution in wake of pandemic. Bloomberg says, modern treasury, which helps improve the efficiency of bank transfers, raises $85 million at $2 billion valuation. 
and Snap adds Snapchat creator monetization programs, including Spotlight Challenges, which pays $25,000 to creators for using specific AR lenses, sounds, and topics. They're rolling out new ways for Snapchat creators to make money on the app, part of the company's effort to keep the most popular content creators on its platform in the face of ongoing competition from the likes of TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. The new program includes challenges, an extension to the Spotlight user-generated content section that promises cash payouts of $25,000 or more to creators with the most engaging videos that use specific AR lenses, sounds, or topics. <clears throat> and they'll start next month. Okay. Well, just let them start selling shit. Just do the e-commerce thing, which TikTok just launched. How many days before Snapchat announces they're going into social commerce, e-commerce, social media? TikTok just announced it last week. You have one month, Snapchat, before your content creators start moving to TikTok if their friends on TikTok start selling shit and they can't sell shit on Snapchat, you're going to lose everybody real fast. When they start finding out that their friends are making thousands of dollars a week on TikTok selling shit and they can't sell shit on Snapchat, you're going to lose everybody real fast. So the the race is on that 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 sound you heard was the official race gun firing and TikTok is racing out of the gate. Facebook is not far behind and Insta yeah, TikTok uh is the horse to beat at the moment and Snapchat better get its race on with the e-commerce stuff real quick. Because people aren't going to just pay to make stupid content. They want to sell shit and get commissions on all that stuff. So the next one is a, a, a Tel Aviv-based Neuroblade, which offers data analytics tool. Raises $83 million. Samsung has dropped 21% from January 11th peak as foreign investors sell $15 billion in shares, driven by concern about flat, flagging smartphone sales flagging flagging dropping smartphone sales yeah xiaomi's kicking your ass Pand pandion which is developing machine learning powered software to help retailers speed up e-commerce deliveries raises 30 million dollars you see where all this money's going and what else? Common stock, a social network for traders, stock traders, that requires them to link their trading accounts before posting about their investments, raises $25 million. And Apple uh, AirPod Pro's update adds Find My Feature Support. And uh, Udemy is going to IPO. And... China's top court ruled in September that uh, they're going to go ahead and allow a court case to decide if China, if if Apple can charge 30% commissions in their app stores in China. And Apple's responded saying, uh, we don't, we're not really, Apple, the company isn't based in China. We have a local partner, uh, which is responsible for selling hardware 
So I don't think you should be able to sue us in China. You can sue us in America where our company's based. We're not, but we're not based in China. And China says, no, we're going to sue you in China because that's where we control the courts. Because we know if we did that in the U.S., uh, we might not win. So we're going to sue you here. And that's where things get really interesting. Why? So generally. Yeah. Oh, um, so that's actually been a rule for a while. If you have operations in China, there's uh, there's a clause that says that you consent to um, to jurisdiction in China and everything has to be done through the Chinese courts. I used to do a, a blog on law, like for U.S. manufacturers in China, operating in China, and um, and the laws are super restrictive. And there's a cost. One of the reasons why people don't leave manufacturing in China is because there's a huge cost associated with leaving. So it's like a penalty payment if you do it. And then um, you, if you uh, decide that you want to leave altogether and you're subject to Chinese law, you can't actually reenter um, until you abide by, like, they'll give you a default judgment, basically. And, and so you have to with whatever it is that they want or you can't ever operate it in there the the i mean and it it has been that way i don't know if it's eased at all i would be surprised if it had but um but does apple have a huge amount of revenue coming from china yes half of their app store sales are from china oh how do they 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 let um they let apple in but not uh other game companies and stuff how do they how did because, Apple do that? Because Apple's uh, manufacturing a whole lot of phones in China. Yeah, and Apple's agreed to uh, run everything on their app store through the Chinese censors uh, or whatever, the Chinese government. Yes, and in, and in fact, even Hong Kong doesn't have the Taiwan flag in their keyboard. Wow, so um, the... You get the, this is a stupid question, but they 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 download WeChat and stuff from like Apple, not like a yes. special. Oh, OK. All right. I really had no idea how that works. <laughs> but what's interesting is that this quote unquote individual um, who doesn't even claim to be a developer <laughs> is suing on what is essentially a developer claim, which is developers are the ones paying the 30 percent to the app store. So in America, it was a developer, Epic Games, who was suing Apple. In China, it's some dude who doesn't even claim to be a developer who's suing Apple because he doesn't think it's fair that they charge 30% to developers. Well, that's a little peculiar. Who is this dude? And, and in the U.S., you have a notion of standing. I mean, you have to have standing in a case to sue. I guess that doesn't apply in China. Well, what's what's is how does China feel about Apple at at this moment here? Yeah, it's obviously they're they're looking for a you know opportunity <laughs> and, and Tesla as well simultaneously getting a little pushback from Uncle G. What's going on over there in China with Tesla and Apple lately? A little little friction developing over there. What's going on over there? So we have made it through. The big boring tweets that your cousins and coworkers will talk about at your next family barbecue. And let me just give another refreshing glance. Yep, we covered them. I uh, sent you one. I've got a new one right here. Okay, I'll check my DMs here. Um, a survey of 1,200 U.S. adults. What percentage of them 
view Facebook favorably now and in 2020? Ah, uh, uh, yeah. So what percentage of U.S. adults view Facebook favorably today? 30%. 60, 65%. 0.007 something? <laughs> I'm waiting for Messi. <laughs> 25%. Time's running out. What's the right answer, Messi? I was, I was I was eating dinner, so I didn't even hear the question. Sorry. That, like like a superstar does, Messi, as the yeah. as the Alpha Jeopardy champion of tech news around the world. She does. She just you know eats dinner while she plays. Like the rest of you are all scrambling. She, <laughs> anyway, thanks, Tyler. <laughs> she's just chilling, getting a foot massage. Killing it on, on Tech News Messi. Jeopardy while everyone else is foot rushing. Foot massages where you are. Yeah. So the correct answer is uh, 66%. So Carl wins with the closest guess. Oh, my 60, God. 60, 66% view Facebook favorably, down from 71 last year. So, my God, are they just getting the, a whopping 5% drop? And the number of people who view them favorably. My God, the sky is falling over at Facebook. That's better than expected already. At least uh, two or three people like them. Okay. I wonder what the breakdown is. At least two or three people. <laughs> That's right. Two uh, or three. I'm going to say oh, it's want... a sample size of a thousand people. So this shows nothing. <laughs> okay. I now... wonder what the breakdown is though because it seems to be skewing older and older and that's their problem they're trying to get all the kid apps because all like everyone younger is moved to other different places to get to get information and community but you have another chance to win a few more points here we go what percentage people perceive apple favorably 85 i would say 80 you mean in u.s 70 Yes, U.S. 70%. We can go ahead and stop Messi 1 as usual. It's 79, but I think Messi said 80, right? So as, can, we just stop, can we just stop these quizzes and just give it to Messi? Just I give mean, Messi everything. Yeah, everything. Let's That's see it. if she Messi gets the next one. What is What percentage of Americans view Amazon favorably? By the 60. way, by the way, Apple dropped two percent in the past year, where Facebook dropped five percent. Ouch. Seventy-five. Sixty percent. Yeah, I'd say fifty percent. What's the right answer, Messi? I would say fifty percent. Wrong. Eighty-seven percent, down four percent from last year. Last but not least, Google. Ninety percent. Get the fuck out of here, Carl! You're googling this shit already. Carl won. I'm, 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 I'm hoovering genuinely. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoovering. <laughs> Carl won that round with ninety percent. That's the correct answer. Ninety percent, and with which didn't drop. Interestingly, 
because the assumption is that big tech is getting the shit beat out of it because we all know the tech corporate tech journalism is doing their best to uh, take these clowns down. And yet uh, Google's not gone down at all. Amazon went down 4% to 87%. Apple down 2% to 79 Facebook down 5% to 66 Yeah, but Google's algorithm will make sure that their unfavorable rating will never go down, right? Yeah, I don't know. So those are the big, boring stories at the moment. And then we get into the fun, fun tweets. Here we go. Uh, Robots give Greece's postal service a speed boost. There's a new addition in the Greece's postal service, a fleet of yellow robots sorting through the mail. And it's these cute, they look like Roombas. Boy, they look exactly like Roombas. Uh, and they they move the packages all around the post office. And then the next one is uh, from QSC Consultancy in the audience, who sends in, by the way, fantastic tweets in the past few days. The This one is Amazon and Google set to attend White House Forum on Quantum Technology. Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and others are expected to join Uncle Joe Biden administration conference on Tuesday. That's today, focused on quantum technology, because that's the future. And the next one, also from QSC in the audience, uh, something called Founders HK for Hong Kong. Founders Hong Kong. Founders HK, created to strengthen Hong Kong's startup ecosystem holds its uh, first demo day. Founders HK was created to strengthen Hong Kong startup community, which has weathered more than two years of political turmoil along with COVID. And I want to see this story because I want to know who's behind Founders HK. And they had 11 startups. It was created to strengthen during the turmoil. And they had a demo day of 11 startups, okay? They connect startups with mentors, many of whom are from Hong Kong, and work at major venture firms and tech companies. One reason why Founders HK is equity-free is because it wants to focus on creating a a culture change. Hong Kong is a very money-driven place. So when you say that none of this will be money-driven, people are shocked. Says Chuang. Who's Chuang? Who are you, Chuang? Alfred Chuang, co-founder of BEA Systems, which was acquired by Oracle for $8.5 billion. Edith Yuang, former 500 startup general partner, and Philip Lam, co-founder of Homecourt. Chuang and Yuang are also partners in Hong Kong-based venture capital, Race Capital. Cool. I think I know Alfred. Pardon me while I check my inbox for two seconds. No, not the same Alfred. Okay. Next one is from Faraz from Bloomberg. Hold on. Oh, where's my sound files? Here we go. China PCR tests, you know, to test for COVID. China PCR tests spiked months before the first known COVID cases. China's foreign ministry demisses claims, and some experts say data isn't convincing. But Bloomberg's reporting that sales 
the PCR tests spiked in China months before COVID. The Chinese province that was the initial epicenter of the COVID-19 outbreak made significant purchases of equipment used to test for infectious diseases. Months before Beijing notified international authorities of the emergence of a new coronavirus. Oh, that's interesting. The sales were in specifically in the in Wuhan. The province's purchase of of polymerase chain reaction or PCR testing equipment, which allows scientists to amplify DNA samples to test for infectious disease or other genetic material, shot upwards in 2019. The most of the increase coming in the second half of the year. The Australian and U.S. firm Internet 2.0 found Hubei province is home to Wuhan, the large Chinese city where the first known cases of the virus emerged. The World Health Organization reported that its China County office was informed on December 31, 2019, that cases of pneumonia from an unknown cause had been detected in the city. On January 7, 2020, Chinese authorities identified a new type of coronavirus that would become known as SARS-CoV-2 and cause the illness now called COVID-19. Since then, it's spread to virtually every corner of the world, and more than 230 million people have been infected, and nearly 4.8 million have died. Based on the research, Internet 2.0 concluded with high confidence that the pandemic began much earlier than China informed the WHO about COVID-19. According to the report, the cybersecurity firm, which specializes in digital forensics and intelligence analysis, called for further investigation, but several medical experts said that Internet 2.0 report wasn't enough information to draw such conclusions. For one thing, PCR testing, which has been in broad use for several decades, has been has been growing in popularity as it has become a standard method to test for pathogens, according to one of the experts. In addition, PCR equipment is widely used in laboratories to test for many other pathogens besides COVID-19, including in animals, and is commonly found in modern hospitals and labs. Uh, China was also dealing with the outbreak of African swine fever across the country in 2019. China's foreign ministry disputed the findings. In a response to Bloomberg News, the spokesperson said the findings fall into the same category as other dubious claims about the origins of the coronavirus, including so-called paper that analyzed traffic volumes near several hospitals in Wuhan and searched for the keywords cough and diarrhea before concluding that the outbreak began in Wuhan as early as 2019. August 2019. Virus traceability is a serious scientific issue that should be addressed by scientists, the spokesperson said. China's State Council Information Office published a white paper on the country's actions to combat COVID-19 that, that with a clear time and ironclad facts, chronicles its efforts to fight the epidemic, the spokesperson said. China's anti-epidemic campaign is open to the world. The situation is clear, the facts are clear at a glance, and stand as a test of time and history, the spokesperson said. The Dr. Amish uh, Adalia, a senior scholar at John Hopkins Center for Health Security, said he didn't know why purchases in Hubei province specifically had increased at the time. He had said it wasn't so surprising because in general Purchases of PCR equipment have been growing, even pre-COVID, as it has become the methodology of choice for pathogen detection. Okay. I like to think that 
the duration of the X-Files theme music that we get through is indicative of how crazy the conspiracy is. Yeah. Ever gotten that far into that, that soundtrack. Yes, we got into the late innings of that one. The next one is a very simple one. NFT startup uh, Dapper Labs acquires a virtual influencer startup called Brud. Get ready for the virtual influencers who have infinitely big duck lips. So good luck competing with virtual influencers. Tyler? Yes. Just to let you know, the breaking news is that WHO have approved the malaria vaccine, which will save thousands of lives. Oh, that's great. We'll get end malaria. Yeah. Yeah. Good, Good news for science and for preventing diseases. And for people who take vaccines. Absolutely. Absolutely. Or... Might this be a sinister plot? <laughs> That's what you've got to go and find out in those rooms. Is it actually trying to eradicate malaria? Or maybe, just maybe, Bill Gates has nothing better to do than to track you because heaven heaven knows your phone isn't tracking you enough already. We need to... It's, it's, it's 6G. It's in the 6G chip. That's what I, you read my mind. And maybe you read my mind because you took the vaccine and you have telepathy now. Well, see, Gates doesn't have smartphones, so he's got to compete with Apple somehow. Ah. <laughs> so the next one is Jeff Bezos invests in Indonesia's Amazon, which is called Ula, the e-commerce company in Indonesia. And they've got Jeff Bezos as an investor, $30 million, which he found in his sofa cushions. So congrats to Ula on getting 30 bill of uh, Jeff's money. The next one is the White House plans a 30-country meeting on cyber crime and ransomware. Top U.S. national security advisors will gather officials from 30 countries this month with plans to combat the growing threat of ransomware and other cyber security issues. And, Tyler, yes. did, did you, sorry to interrupt, did you cover the um, Amazon's Twitch is hacked? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. No I worries. was multitasking. What's your thought on that one? No, I just I just was, wasn't sure if, if you guys had covered it. It was then. the uh, number two story of the day. Change right. your password. That's what they always tell you. Uh, obviously, I was multitasking. Sorry about that. That's right. So my, my hands were wet at the time. I just wanted to say on that, though, the fact that the code was stolen, eh, not, not so much. I mean, you can reverse engineer that. The real um, loss for them in that is the you mentioned that the AWS assets and the stack as well. Yeah. Because that's the thing that's truly novel and painful uh, to any sort of streaming platform, which is their stack, their server stack, how they handle it, how they do the load balancing, how they, they distribute everything. And that is, that's incredibly valuable to them. And you can't sort of backwards um, engineer that unless you have access to it. So for them to lose that as well, for them to lose the sort of the... Um, the build configuration files for that is really, really, really serious, and, and less so than just the source code for the application. Alrighty, here we go. Um, JT, you have this Apple pat new patent called HMD. 
and or smart glasses to interact with virtual keyboard via tracking device. And then I'm just tweeting this one out so you can see this, how you're going to use a keyboard, a virtual keyboard in virtual reality. You're going to need a virtual keyboard in virtual reality. Ex-Uber driver takes legal action over racist face recognition software. Uh-oh. UK driver alleges his account was illegally deactivated when Uber software detected he was not who he said he was. This sounds like our cup of tea here. An Uber driver who lost his job when automated face scanning software failed to recognize him is accusing the firm of indirect race discrimination. In a legal test case, the black driver who worked on the Uber platform from 2016 until 2021 has filed an employment tribunal claim alleging his account was illegally deactivated when facial verification software used to log drivers onto the ride-hailing app decided he was not who he said he was. The Independent Workers Union of Great Britain, which is backing the action, claimed at least 35 other drivers had had their registration with Uber terminated as a result of alleged mistakes with the software since the start of the pandemic. It is calling for Uber to scrap the racist algorithm and reinstate terminated drivers. Uber said it strongly refutes the completely unfounded claims and that it was committed to fighting racism and being a champion for equality, both inside and outside our company. The firm said the checks were designed to protect the safety and security of everyone who uses the app by ensuring the correct driver is using the account. Drivers can choose human verification of their picture. And when the technology is chosen, there is always a minimum of two human expert reviews prior to any decision to remove a driver. Oh, so it wasn't just the algorithm. It's not the racist algorithm. It's the racist people, the human auditors. So are we to assume that they're racist as well? Checkmate, got you. You didn't realize what was going on in the back end. And now your lawyer thinks, ah, oh, shit. We, sh we should have just checked to see how it actually worked before we filed this lawsuit. Did you cover the um, Tesla thing yesterday? The Tesla uh, $137 million judgment against them? Uh, we did briefly yesterday. Yeah, Tesla lost a suit uh, to somebody at their Fremont factory, which is their main factory in California. And a black former employee was claiming um, kind of what uh, what was the exact legalese? It, um, so he was an elevator operator and um, they had a, and he apparently, like, they had race one second. Okay. They had racist commentary to every day for the entire time that he worked there. And, um, and uh, they apparently like they, it was both written and verbal. And so he, there was a $7 million judgment for harassment, um, you know, and, and, you know, racist hate behavior, and then 130 million in punitive damages. Amazing. Next one from our friend Faraz that Opendoor builds a $9 billion war chest to buy U.S. homes. Opendoor Technologies is adding billions of dollars in borrowing capacity as it races to buy and sell more homes. They've got all the data. 
And when you got the data, you eventually win and they got the data. And now Open Door is buying all the homes that are worth buying. Kind of amazing. And if as if home prices weren't high enough already. And then Fraz sends in this one that the founders of Network, uh, Aaron Levant, uh, are digital geniuses who have partnered with content creators, influencers, and artists. And it says how mobile video digital shopping is shaping the future of e-commerce. Well, we know how it's happening because it's been happening in China and Asia for many years now. So I wouldn't necessarily call them geniuses for ripping off what's been wildly popular in China for many years. The next one is from QSC in the audience. Oh, it's the Founder HQ one that we read. And a company called Chalo raises $40 million to digitize bus commutes in India. Indian bus market is a $20 billion opportunity, almost twice the size of taxi cabs in India. But there are very few buses in the country that uh, are digitized. And if we could digitize the buses in India, boy, that could be quite interesting. That's a lot of data. That's a lot of efficiency. That would be a very nice uh, move to do. So the next one, General Motors to open a battery cell development center in a push to cut EV costs. And they said it will open a battery cell development center in southeast Michigan to help it drive down the cost and boost EVs. And the next one, charting Instagram's obsession with video, a twist on Clubhouse. Uh, What is this about? What is this? It's from the information. It says a twist on Clubhouse from Mark Cuban. Oh, his new app, which is called, uh, geez, I forget. Yeah, but it is quite fireside. It's yeah. I, I think it's fireside. Yeah, it is. Called fireside. Yeah, it just came out of beta today, which is why they're writing about it. So this is a paid puff piece. So we will we'll pass that one. And the new the next one is uh, it says big tech billionaire backed philanthropy announces fund to reset the job market. McKinsey Scott, which was Jeff Bezos's um, former wife, Jack Dorsey and Eric Schmidt are among the tech donors to something called Families and Workers Fund to reset the job market. What is this exactly? A cohort of foundations and tech billionaires, of tech billionaires, including um, Mackenzie Scott from Amazon, Jack Dorsey from Twitter, and Eric Schmidt from former CEO of Google, and Craig Newmark of Craigslist. <laughs> One of these things is not quite like the other. Uh, are backing a new five-year philanthropic fund directed at creating better quality jobs and more sturdy social safety net, the group said Tuesday. It's a laudable mission, but one that in some ways runs counter to the recent wave of worker backlash that has been taking place at some of the very companies that made people like Scott Dorsey Schmidt billionaires to begin with. The Families and Workers Fund, as it's called, launched in 2020 as a partnership by the Ford Foundation and the Schmidt's company, Schmidt Futures, in response to the unemployment crisis caused by the pandemic. We were really concerned 
that we needed to see the same level of coordination around the economic and equity crisis of COVID as we did around the health crisis of COVID. Now, with this new five-year commitment, which also includes donations from the Rockefeller Foundation and the Skoll Foundation, among others, Skoll, by the way, is Jeff Skoll from eBay, and the group is trying to address some of the very economic challenges that the tech industry is so often accused of exacerbating. In crisis, you get opportunities to press reset. People are looking for new opportunities. Many people don't want to go back to the jobs they have. This is an opportunity to press reset. And there we go. So thank you to QSC for that one. I just tweeted it to the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. And here's one from Faraz from Bloomberg. YouTube looks to hire its first executive focused on podcasts. The video site is looking for someone to manage the growing number of podcasts uploaded every day. And Tyler, about the India News, the Chalo, uh, yes. the app that has just become a unicorn. Yeah. Now, this is the funny part. Uber and the rest of the gang actually did start out in for cabs and sedans and services uh, which are meant for four-wheelers. They tried to get into the two-wheeler space. That didn't uh, work out very well. They also now are getting into corporate uh, shuffles. Uh, and the irony of the whole situation is that corporate shuffles that existed pre-COVID have actually shut down. So while I'm extremely enthusiastic about how the investors look at this space, I can't understand how this would work because in India, from the digital payments point of view, we've been trying to digitize this entire leg uh, for the longest period of time and it hasn't happened because of so much... Uh, uh, bifurcation in terms of government rules and state government rules and stuff like that. So when this stuff happens, I know that the industry is really bloated at the moment in terms of VC investing. Just a point thought out there because you can ask anybody in India and nobody is bullish on this space except VCs and foreign investors. So it's very interesting. Okay, thank you for that. The next one from Alex in the audience. Um, it's a Vice article that says, interesting internal experiment where Facebook set up new accounts, followed mainstream Republican GOP politicians, and got recommended QAnon content within a week. Which sort of helps the claims that it uh, causes extremism, at least political extremism. The next one from Sharok sends this one in from the Independent UK that a health app is letting men take do-it-yourself fertility tests. Instead of invasive tests, Exceed Health, spelled E-X-S-E-E-D, oh boy, Exceed Health is allowing people to address issues of male infertility from the comfort of their own home. I don't, I'm not even going to click to find out how they're doing that. I'm not. I mean, uh, men need l less invasive ways to check for fertility. Has anybody ever done that as a woman? I mean, that, there's there's not anything more invasive, honestly. So the next one is from QSC in the audience sends this one in that Russia says Facebook outage shows why Russia needs Internet sovereignty. Russia social networks reported a spike in activity during Monday, Monday's global Facebook outage, which Moscow officials said shows that Russia was right in its push for Internet sovereignty. 
we can't depend on this Western internet. We got to build our own Russian internet, you know, like China did, you know. No, not to control you. It's just to help you. What, what do you mean control? No, 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 no. My dear comrade. No, no. We already know everything. We just we just want to build the nicest, safest internet for you. And NPR article says Facebook's own data is not as conclusive as you think about teens and mental health. And Dr. Donish sent this one in. On Tuesday, Facebook's whistleblower testified before Senate panel. The hearing focused on uh, was advertised as protecting kids online. The leaked Facebook research consists of opinion surveys and interviews. Facebook asked teens about their impressions of Instagram's effects on their body image, mental health, and other issues. That reliance on self-reporting, the teen's own opinions, as a single indicator of harm is a problem, says Candace Odgers, a psychologist who studies adolescents at the University of California, Irvine, and Duke. That's because teenagers are already primed by media coverage and the disapproval of adults to believe that social media is bad for them. Gotcha. You lose. Checkmate. Odgers was a cohort of a study conducted in 2015 and published in 2020 that found exactly this. If you ask teens if they're addicted, harmed by social media or their phones, the vast majority say yes. But if you actually do the research and connect their use to objective measures, there's very little to no connection. With the exception of a small increase in behavior problems, her study found no real-world connections between smartphone or social media use and several different measures of psychological distress and well-being. At the population level, there was little evidence that digital technology access and the use is negatively associated with young adolescents' well-being. You know, an actual study. You know, like, real research, you know, by a real researcher instead of asking the kid how they think they feel bobby do you want ice cream no why not oh you think the ice cream man's trying to poison you well it turns out he's not turns out you don't know what the fuck you're talking about because you're a kid and you don't know tyler yeah this is uh there's some more research like that goes a little deeper into this that i think i commented this another time but it it's uh, how you condition how you can condition the um, the sur- the person you survey with your questions also. That's what I mean. It's quite tricky right. to there's create a, these. Th- correct. There's an art. Yeah. To so it's, yeah. Th- th- there's, there's an a, art to doing these questionnaires. Well, more than an art. Be... It's an. It's they call it a science. Science. It's, it's, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah, actual yeah, science. Yeah. There's the, right, it's right. the science of doing science. Right. And it's also interesting because, I mean, it goes to in psychology where you can even, I mean, it's just basic, you know, you can condition basically anyone by doing, and that's what marketing is. You condition people to be able to be more perceptive to things. So anyways, yeah. So that's not not a big, uh, it's important to people to understand that there's so much behind uh, these questionnaires that you have to kind of deep, dig deeper into. Um, okay. And I can assure you that NPR is no fan of Facebook. <laughs> I can assure you of that. The the publication behind this article. The next one is that the IMF chief says that Europe can avoid the debt crisis. And medium term financial or fiscal consolidation and growth will put Europe on a sound footing to avoid another sovereign debt crisis despite rising debt levels. 
caused by that pandemic. The next one, and God bless you, Evan, for sending this one in. New genetic discovery could finally explain balding. Not that I care. I thought of you, Tyler. A team of researchers have made an astonishing discovery that could redefine how we understand aging, the New York Times reports, and maybe even prevent baldness in humans. You know, this tragic disease that scars people for life. (laughs) By studying the hair of aging animals, the team was able to identify two genes involved in the aging of hair, potentially setting the foundation for new anti-hair loss treatments in human patients. And also, if they find these genes, they might unlock the secret of genius thinking. I wonder if they're connected. Until now, scientists believed that due to a process called stem cell exhaustion, stem cells in the bulges of growing hair follicles died over time, causing hair to first turn white and eventually die off once enough stem cells had died. But by watching individual strands of hair grow and age in mice, a team led by Northwestern University pathology professor found that the theory could be wrong. Rather than dying off, the stem cells literally squeezed out the tiny holes in their hair follicles, changing their shapes to do so. In other words, the stem cells gave up and ran off. If I did not see it for myself, I would not have believed it, he told the New York Times. It's almost crazy in my mind. And he and his team examined the genetic processes that determined this activity. Did did it say runoff? Yes. (laughs) Tyler, when when did you start losing your hair? Uh, 19. (gasps) When you were 19 years old? Yes. What do you eat? (laughs) What did I eat? Yeah. I ate a bunch of hair loss pills, obviously. But 19 years old, that's too early, no? It's it's early. Ah, I know. Must be the hair gel you use. Okay. Ah. <laughs> but the chicks like it, right, Tyler? Come on. Admit it. If, uh, so it says, to prove their theory, the team grew uh, mice without either of those two genes. After just four to five months, they started losing their hair. After 16 months... Roughly when mice are middle-aged, they had lost most of their hair except for a bit of gray fur. The researchers are now testing whether they can actually save the stem cells escaping from the follicles of aging mice. And if they can, it could potentially change everything for humans who are losing their hair. Does it talk about Maybe also extending. Sorry, say again? Tyler, does it say anything about drugs that might upregulate those genes? No. And what's the next one here? Apple used unfair tactics in 5G patent dispute. Ericsson alleges in a lawsuit, Ericsson has filed a lawsuit against Apple, alleging Apple engaged in unfair tactics in negotiations over licenses for essential 5G technology patents. And Ericsson's going to win that lawsuit. Because Ericsson owns the patents for 5G and Apple has to pay them. And Ericsson charges everyone the same. And Apple's trying to not pay them. And everyone else is paying them, but Apple's not. You cheap bastards pay Ericsson for their intellectual property of developing 5G. They told you what the price was before you started using it. They told everyone the same price. Everyone's paying it except you. You have more money than anyone else on the planet, Apple. What the fuck are you doing? I thought Qualcomm had a lot of the 5G patents for mobile devices so it's unusual they have some anyway 
Amazon CEO says video games could become the largest entertainment business. The early response to the company's game, New World, which debuted a week ago, is very positive, and now they're doubling down and going to go big into video games. So here comes Amazon into the video game world. Snapchat users will... Uh, Snapchat's rolling out a new tool aimed at helping young users run for political office called Run for Office. Snapchat users will also be able to nominate their friends to run for offices through the tool. Snapchat rules rolls out a new tool aimed at helping young users run for political offices. And the next one is Apple's health efforts are faltering amid internal strife departures and more wow interesting all these tech publications are picking up this report of how apple health time i told you they were coming for apple next i told you i told you i told you does it say what what is the what's the trigger like what's the story why why are these health uh, why is why are they scaling back like the giants on health I'm really curious about that kind of analysis. Apple says they're not. Oh, so they're not. Apple says they're not. Tech journalists say they are. Because they've lost some team members, you know, during COVID. So, So Google scaled back, allegedly, and Apple... And Amazon, but uh, you're saying COVID. I'm saying during COVID, some senior folks. And by the way, Apple generally, like Johnny Ives, yeah. left not that long ago. Apple as an organization, when Johnny left, now it's other seniors leadership people are realizing they have too much money now that Apple's made reached the $2 trillion mark. It's been on an absolute boom the last 10 years. And these people have way too much money and they're getting a little bit older in life and they want to enjoy their golden years, you know, outside of the campus. Oh, maybe they found a new purpose in life. But the, you know, to, as... As uh, Francine says, this is not news to anyone who's followed Apple since, since the eighties. So, but Tyler, look at the um, look at the age of these journalists that are writing these right now. I mean, I think the one that wrote the the tech, I mean, not the tech, the um, the health news. I think she was probably like maybe twenty five, twenty six years old. So that may have a little something to do with that. You know, just kind of realizing the temperature of the generation and the and the temperature that we're yes. in right now culturally. We're dealing with people that are growing up with, you know, some maybe, you know, we're dealing with the cat, the, what is it? The, uh, the cancel culture. We're dealing with, you know, some entitlement as far as, you know, loyalties to the businesses and, you know, they don't have that same kind of, um, upbringing or the same kind of look towards long-term, uh, jobs and businesses. And so, I mean, there's a lot of that cancel culture. I mean, look at the age. I mean, I think it's kind of the people that are writing these, these are all young younger generations and uh you know they're all kind of like following the cancel cultures and trying to be the whistleblower within you know trying to point out what's going wrong in companies and who's jumping ship and you know i'm not sure 
if in the long run, if this is good or bad, but I mean, I'm just kind of observing that there's an age thing. I mean, you're not seeing the older, more seasoned uh, journalists writing these kind of these kind of stories like this. That's true. Yeah. Uh, well, let's see if that trend continues. So far, you uh, the data, I think, backs your point. The next article here, a TikTok trend inspires students to steal toilets. Now, school officials say they're slapping teachers. Oh, boy. Did I tell you? Did we talk about this? This is from MSN.com, a mainstream media in the U.S. One hour ago, for much of September, the TikTok challenge drove young people to rip soap dispensers off bathroom walls at their schools, steal random classroom items, and even remove entire toilets from their stalls. Some students have been criminally charged for partaking in the challenge, and TikTok has attempted to scrub videos and hashtags associated with the trend from its platform, but now officials say they're concerned about another new trend called Slap a Teacher. After an elementary student in Lancaster County struck a teacher's head from behind, according to the school district, this type of behavior just like theft and destruction of property is not a prank, a district official said on Friday. It's criminal behavior. In Springfield, Missouri, another teacher was slapped as part of the challenge. KYTV reported Tuesday, three days after Lancaster County School District reminded students that they could be expelled for assaulting teachers and staff, a politician in another state blamed TikTok for allowing the dangerous trends to emerge and spread on its platform. Here's the quote. TikTok fails to control the spread of dangerous content. Connecticut Attorney General William Tong, Democrat, said on a tweet on Monday, I am urging TikTok to come to Connecticut to meet with educators and parents and commit to reforms to stop this reckless content. TikTok did not immediately respond to emailed questions from the Washington Post. Earlier Wednesday, the latest challenge encouraging violence against teachers coincides with the federal push to investigate threats educators are facing on the job. It's a good thing Chris isn't here to hear this. Yeah, that's right. The latest uh, Garland asks FBI to address recent disturbing spike in threats against educators. Internet challenges are not limited to TikTok. Before the video app exploded in popularity over the past several years, young people recorded themselves wandering outside of their homes, blindfolded, swallowing laundry detergent pods, and lighting themselves on fire, all for social media clout. But TikTok, now one of the most used and downloaded apps with about 1 million monthly active users, has become home to some of the most viral and dangerous challenges. Multiple children have died this year after attempting the blackout challenge. A 15-year-old girl died in August 2020 after taking an excessive amount of over-counter allergy medicine in the Benadryl challenge. Ah, so people are dying on TikTok. Right, but Facebook makes young ladies report that they think Instagram makes them feel negative about their self-body image, which professional researchers say that's idiotic amateurish research. That's not how research works. You don't ask the subject how they think something makes them feel. That's not how science works. But didn't um, Facebook, isn't this Facebook's uh, research that you're referring to? Yes. So, I mean, you I'm accusing Instagram of being a social media network, not a researcher, not a professional scientist. 
Right, but they're using it to justify the fact that that most teens don't get hurt. Correct. And that it was taken out of context. Correct. My understanding is one of the samples was like 40. So it, 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 it's, it's ridiculous on its face. Correct. It would be errant to really draw any conclusions. So I guess what, what uh, the question is, what do they have internal data that they're not releasing uh, that could be reviewed by outsiders. Uh, and I don't think, you know, they're plugging the holes on that as we saw with NYU. So I don't know which way you go if, I, if you read to the bottom are, of it. Are kids killing themselves on the Benadryl challenge and slapping their teachers? No, it's bad. I mean, they, they should pay it, they should have a hearing on that. Definitely. I'm talking about what happened, what's happening on TikTok. Where right. a, go- a government TikTok. is intentionally weaponizing their social media platform in the U.S. as fa- as was done on Facebook, and Facebook reported it. I mean, Trump what? might have a point about banning TikTok. I'm not a fan of his, but uh, yeah, I mean that. that whatever a... happened, I mean that was one of the big, you know, kerfuffles in the election year. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh... Because the the question of national security is actually more important, and that's what uh, this woman, the whistleblower, will be testifying about: how other governments have used our social media companies to weaponize and you know mobilize within the U.S. and but and, and in right. how other countries have done it. And how, the other, how do you think they're country, using their own social media networks like TikTok? If they're weaponizing the American social networks like Facebook, who try and exactly. combat it, I agree. do you, do you I mean, think do you think their own social networks like TikTok are are doing a a decent job definitely. at stopping their own efforts to sabotage America? I agree. What what needs to be done is uh, they really have to clamp down on the ownership of TikTok. Wasn't there someone who's more knowledgeable about this than I? Wasn't there some effort to? Uh, transfer ownership so that they could operate in the u.s or some sort of discussion about that i mean i'm very suspicious of that so simply the here's a quote uh simply put whatever tiktok has been doing to enforce its terms of service has not been working and merits serious reform uh according to the attorney general connecticut attorney general He noted that New Britain High School in Central Connecticut temporarily closed last month due to unprecedented vandalism and behavior challenges, which school leaders attributed in part to the viral TikTok challenges. So they had to shut down the whole school. As many as 70 New Britain High School students faced discipline for vandalism and fighting. Schools around the country are warning students that such behavior is criminal and teachers remain on edge. Educators beware. The teachers, California Teachers Association wrote in a Facebook post on Tuesday. As if widespread vandalism in our schools last month was not the same challenge circulating on social media networks. TikTok is now calling for students to slap a staff member. Slapping an educator, regardless of whether it results in injury, is an assault and battery and is completely unacceptable. And they'll be expelled. 
So who do we think cooked up this genius plan to get students permanently expelled from education across America? It's the perfect weapon. And now Could you know. Turn the gun on them and, and start up a, 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 a thing for other students to become politically active in another country. This with the election thing that they were boasting on on one of the other platforms. Could we have that transferred to this one as well? The Facebook. There's another. There's a Texas shooting right now again that just happened in in uh, in a high school. Several people have been shot. Oh, is that the new challenge? I was just about to read it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just DM you to Tyler. So that when Facebook had a Senate hearing about a week ago, you remember this before the whistleblower. On the they were called. Facebook was called into the Senate hearing over this uh, charge about uh, the Wall Street Journal article about Instagram. And I forget the name of the Facebook representative who spoke there. Uh, I'm trying to find her testimony because she made a interesting, geniusly subtle point to say, we look forward to cooperating with all the Senate investigations, which hopefully will include uh, other social media platforms. Because she knows very well that what's happening on TikTok is, makes what's happening on Facebook look very mild in comparison. Uh, I, I don't know how intentional um, the TikTok uh, challenges are from China's perspective. But what I do know from working with kind of social determinants of health and uh, those kinds of things in Sweden, uh, what police and researchers say is violence is a culture and you can gain violence. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, they, they research it just they, as they would research a, uh, a uh, infectious disease. So it starts in one area and it spreads. Um, it's, and it's, it's hard to wash off. So teaching kids to take the first leap, don't know how intentional it is, but if you can get a kid out to, to, to be expelled, you know, chances are that that specific child is on a kind of a really dangerous route. You kind of turbo boost them into a route that will create mayhem in their, in their community. So that's just kind of one perspective around this. But again, I have no idea how intentional all this is, but it's, uh, it's a little worrying. I think and, the name and, was uh, Antigone uh, Davis from Facebook who testified. That's right. Thank you. Uh, could you spell the name for me again, please? Antigone, A-N-T-I-G-O. Yeah, I got it. Any Davis. Yes. Thank you. And, and point um you know it sets up a situation where kids are affected kids who, who who pull these pranks uh, and get in trouble are essentially tracked and set on an antagonist uh, relationship with authority and this is the same problem that we have with uh recidivism of people who are because they are given fewer and fewer options to be properly integrated um and it's just it's it's just awful Tyler, could this possibly be, you know, 
a possible leeway into like the social credit system that China is implementing that, you know, that we need to, you know, anyone that does anything bad, credit goes down, especially if you're young, you're going to have problems in your future. If you do good, it's going to be, you know, the reverse. So, I mean, this could lead into why someone would invite or request that to happen in their own societies. The other thing that's happening, uh, if I remember correctly, in New York City, where I live, is that a lot of the disputes that before you used to get into arguments in school are happening over social media. And so it escalates. And I think there's been a significant amount of violence as a result of that going back and forth. So I also wonder, as people were isolated, uh, you know, what the, and they were communicating more on social media during the, the COVID uh, lockdown, how that had an impact in, you know, in changing that dynamic that we've seen throughout the U.S. of, of greater violence. Just, just a, a thought. Morris, from a, from, a, <laughs> from a perspective of a New Yorker, we never needed social media to get crazy on each other from the past either. Just being funny, not funny. Well, well, that's not true because, I mean, we were, we were, I know we're rough with each other, but the crime was going down. You know, it was remarkably, uh, relatively peaceful. Actually, we hadn't seen this level of violence since, uh, you know, the early 60s. And for we were the safest big city, um, you know, and much safer than other mid-sized cities. So it was actually an incredible job. When you think about it, 8 million people in this city. And, and it was very little relative violence when you look at the statistics and then and most people who uh, were violent knew each other so you were pretty safe uh, i know the history of the early 90s where uh, what was really freaking people out is and when it shot up to 2000 people is that um it was it started to get random it didn't go it wasn't just in the supposedly bad neighborhoods but there were shootings all over the place and that's you know um how what instigated the what pushed people to make a change and i th i think hopefully we can go back to the safety we had uh, before the pandemic okay so the next article is from foreignpolicy.com it says big tech embraces new cold war nationalism china's rise has pushed silicon valley away from the values it once claimed it had Last month, the CEOs of Google, Apple, Facebook, and Amazon were hauled before the U.S. Congress to be interrogated about their company's monopolistic power, while Democrats relentlessly grilled the four CEOs over their breach of antitrust laws. Republicans were just as interested in questioning their national loyalty and asking whether they had ties to the Chinese military. At the hearing, Republican Representative Ken Buck accused Google of declining to work with the U.S. Defense Department while falsely claiming that the company collaborated with the Chinese military. In, in response, Google CEO Sundar Pichai fought nationalism with patriotism, stating that Google was, in fact, proud to support the U.S. government and boasted that they had recently signed a big project with the Department of Defense. Coming from Pichai, the immigrant CEO of a company known for its progressive values, boasting of Google's collaboration with the Pentagon might seem 
like a defensive response to being called treasonous, but Google's commitment to the military had long preceded this moment. The company's former CEO, Eric Schmidt, had long advocated for deepening ties with the Pentagon and now serves as a chairman of the Defense Innovation Board, an innovation or an, innov an innovative an initiative to transfer technological innovation from Silicon Valley to the U.S. military. Google's far from alone. Last month, la late last year, Microsoft won $10 billion contract with the Pentagon. Underpinning this new affinity for the U.S. government is a widespread anxiety that the rise of China's tech industry may spell the end of Silicon Valley's dominance. In the past year, the tech investor Peter Thiel and Eric Schmidt himself both wrote New York Times op-eds with the same warning. Silicon Valley must start working with the Pentagon or else China will win. Big tech's hostility towards China is relatively new phenomena. In 2017, Google opened an AI lab in Beijing, professing that AI and its benefits have no borders. In 2016, Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg was eager to tap into China's massive advertising market, aggressively courting China with newly developed censorship tools to appease Chinese officials. But as U.S. President Donald Trump pins the blame for the pandemic on China and engages in tit-for-tat escalations over Hong Kong, the already tumultuous U.S.-China relationship has reached a new low. Tech executives have fallen in line, coalescing behind anti-Chinese rhetoric and using Chinese encroachment to justify military contracts and stave off regulations. Last year, uh, Jeff Bezos warned that the country could be in trouble if the industry turned its back on the Pentagon. Zuckerberg, just three years after courting China with censorship tools, urged U.S. lawmakers to stop trying to regulate Facebook's new digital currency, Libra. Otherwise, the spreading of America's dem democratic values and oversight around the world through financial leadership would be at risk. Uh, so Zuck is pointing out that we need a digital currency because China has one. And so the U.S. better do something and they might as well back Facebook. Interesting point there. The next one is from Kara Swisher in the New York Times. The crackdown in China is a hot mess and it's coming for us. But I, whoever sent this in, this is a slightly older article from a couple months ago, July 20th. But she says on one topic, at least Mark Zuckerberg was right. Uh, three years ago in an interview with between Zuckerberg and Kara Swisher, while attempting to dodge questions about the growing misinformation issues on Facebook, he shifted the conversation to growing dangers from China across the digital landscape. He argued that tech companies like his needed to be large, if only to fend off challenges from the Asian giant and its ever more powerful government-controlled companies. If we adopt a stance which is that, okay, we're going to, as a country, decide that we want to clip the wings of these companies and make it so that it's harder for them to operate in different places where they have to be smaller. Then there are plenty of other companies, he said, that are willing to be able to take the place of the work that we're doing. <laughs> He's talking about TikTok. Essentially painting a stark choice for internet leadership between him and China's president, Xi Jinping, he added, and they do not share the values that we have. While I do not buy his Xi or me argument, perhaps there's a third opinion he was correct. Anyway, lastly, the Washington Post article from, from today says, The trillion dollar coin, is it a solution to the debt ceiling drama or a gimmick? The move has been pitched as a way to help the federal government avoid the potential default and shutdown. Some experts say the idea is unrealistic. It sounds like the plot of a PG-13 political action movie. The United States might need a $1 trillion coin to save itself. But this week, the idea of minting one 
is once again being floated as a way around the federal debt ceiling crisis to avert the possible default and the economic catastrophe that could ensue. The U.S. government runs out of money to pay all of its bills on October 18th, according to the the Treasury Department. And if Congress does not raise the debt limit, the amount of money the government is allowed to borrow, economists warn, it would trigger a recession. Though lawmakers acknowledge the gravity of the situation, lawmakers have not come to agreement how to resolve the issue, with Republicans insisting that Democrats raise the debt limit using their narrow control of Congress. One potential remedy is to have the U.S. mint a $1 trillion platinum coin, an idea that first surfaced during another debt ceiling debate in 2011 and gained traction among some left-leaning policy wonks. Even the White House briefly entertained the idea, here's what you need to know about this untested idea. A shutdown, yeah, it goes into big details. Um, Well, Bitcoin went above one trillion in in value, so that's trending now on Twitter. As far as the trillion dollar asset, Bitcoin is up to 55K. Yeah, they interviewed one of the former uh directors of the u.s mint and he confirmed yep we can do this easy peasy and fly in a helicopter over to the treasury in about 10 minutes and we can make it in a couple of hours he said he said so it's technically all doable i think uh paul krugman uh, has endorsed it i'm not sure if he if he's just sort of half joking uh but the seriousness of this, I don't think, is is understood because it's it's sort of a black swan uh, moment where people just don't think that it's that's going to happen. But if it were to happen, it would just be a disaster for. I mean, of we couldn't even imagine it. I mean, uh, it would affect all of the economy. Um, it would just you know who and we don't even know what it would happen but it would have long-term effects because the gold standard, regardless of gold and, you know, Bitcoin and everything else it are, that runs the world are U.S. treasuries. And if, if that, if people don't believe that that is like the foundation of the world economy, boy, we're going to be in big trouble. Not to mention the fact that even if we get through this, the closer we get, the more probability that it wasn't solved in time increase may increase the the interest rate that that the government has to pay that for those you know for, for people to buy those bonds in the future. We're really shooting ourselves you know in, in the face uh, with this. It's too dangerous to play with. I think what will what will happen is they'll blow up the filibuster before they allow that to happen. That was like another plan B is just to blow up the filibuster, the nuclear option as it's called, and you know, approve the debt. This is the weird thing. The uh, McConnell, the Republicans are saying, no, you 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 do this, even though it's all uh, I'm sure everyone here understands. It's all it's not new debt. It's the debt we've already uh, incurred and under all the presidents, Trump and before. And so what, the, what McConnell is saying is, you solve the problem. We're not going to help you. You have to get the votes. The only way they can do that is through reconciliation, which is a complex process um, through 
Congress. Now, McConnell, uh, he, uh, he, he's sort of, he's not guaranteeing or some people are protesting that Republicans, that they're going to slow down that process. In other words, they're not just going to green light it. Okay, you get the votes. If you can get the votes, well, we're not going to put any obstacles. Some Republicans are supposed to say, oh, we're going to like question it and slow it down. It has to be, it takes about two weeks. And so what I think McConnell said this morning was that he would, uh, he would, you know, he would make sure that it does get the green light because he's worried, as you just said, Evan, that that the that if they he doesn't do that, that the Democrats' only option would be uh would be the uh, killing the filibuster. Let's not forget that uh, China's rating agency last time gave America what is it went from AAA to AA, and I think a lot of other countries were like, wait a second, this kind of instability is not good for anybody. So uh, maybe China's onto something. So if China starts. Uh, some sort of campaign against this, it might actually hurt America a little bit more than usual. Exactly. Um, and with the social media and everything that they could deploy, as we've, as you know, as uh, Tyler was discussing, forget, you know, punching teachers in the face. You know, imagine China mobilizing to displace the U.S. dollar as the currency of the world, uh, you know, uh, as we're in the middle of this crisis, you know, we can't get our political act together. We can't get our economy together. Follow us, China. We've got an authoritarian system. It it works. Yeah, you don't have as much freedom as you like, but look how we handle the pandemic. Look how we handle uh, dissent in, in within here so we can let our companies operate and make, you know, incredible amount of progress. That's what, what's that issue here. It's really an issue of, of tech news, of political news, of everything. It's the most important uh, piece of news if, it, if, if this doesn't stop soon. Although uh, I am still, you know, hopeful that America will pull through and most people I think still support America, given, for example, like electric cars, Tesla, number one in the world, Neo, although catching up, not quite there yet. So I think China still has a way to go. Maybe not this round, but soon it will become quite the competitor in terms of not only economic, but also financial might. Well, they're already an incredible, they're, they're basically our, our most dangerous competitor on every level, military, technology, AI, all that. According to Noah Smith, who writes for uh, Bloomberg, uh, an economist, um, what he says is that China basically, all of its, what it's doing in terms of, of clamping down on, on these companies and its social media, is it wants to sort of reduce, it doesn't want its, the kids who are growing up and everyone to be spending as much time on social media. They want those kids to move into the uh, sort of focus on academia, on, on things that will make China more powerful. And they feel that this will weaken them. And so ironically, what they're doing is TikTok. Yeah, for, for you, good, because we could disrupt your operation. For us, we're, we're controlling the information. And then if you throw into the mix this destabilizing uh, element, 
I mean, we're just handing them ammunition. It's crazy. So today, uh, Wall Street, uh, sorry, Washington Post tech um, section has a headline that China's exploiting Google to push propaganda about the origins of COVID-19. Chinese government officials and state media are exploiting gaps in search results on Google, YouTube, and Bing to advance conspiracy theories about the origins of COVID-19. In particular, they have fixated on amplifying stories that boost the basis theory that the coronavirus was created out of a lab at Fort Detrick, a military base in Maryland, that's been at the center of numerous viral hoaxes over the years. The Chinese state media and officials have posted over 1,000 tweets, articles, videos about Fort Detrick since May, and in doing so is flooding social media platforms with elaborate conspiracy theories that have been thoroughly debunked, according to a report released Tuesday by the Alliance for Security Democracy, a nonpartisan initiative housed in the German Marshall Fund. What's particularly noteworthy about the campaign, researchers said, is that the officials have tapped into highly effective means of spreading misinformation and disinformation, filling the Internet with misleading content on issues where there's a dearth of reliable information. The result is what is when users search for these more obscure topics, when they type in Fort Detrick into Google or Bing, they are more likely to see the Chinese back conspiracy theories. That's the trend that's manifested across search engines for users searching about the military base in recent months, researchers found. It's what researchers call a data void, and they say it's being weaponized by China to push unfound claims. COVID-19 came from a lab in the U.S. It gives an advantage to those who are trying to promote this conspiracy because they continue to publish it over and over and over and over and over. That's what it says. So that when someone who's not familiar with the term just Googles it, you tend to get the conspiracy theorist point of view, says Brett Schaefer, a media and digital disinformation fellow at ASD who co-authored the report. According to the report, new news search results for Fort Detrick across Google, YouTube, and Bing were dominated by state-run Chinese media, such as CGTN and the Global Times at various times since May. Researchers called the outlet central to Beijing's information operations. Google spokesperson Lara Levine said that the examples, the example queries in the report represent a tiny fraction of the overall searches for coronavirus-related information on Google. Levine said data voids are a known challenge that Google, which owns YouTube, is trying to address. Microsoft, which owns Bing, declined to comment. Okay, next one is... Oh, let me retweet Tyler, that. For yes. Um, the tech news around Africa room is starting in four minutes. Yes. So Poppy sends in this interesting one that uh, BMW's new factory robots can paint complex designs on cars without spending any time doing the very laborious masking process of blocking off, you know, the parts you don't want to paint because humans cannot draw in perfect ways as computer and robotic arms can. So now the robotic arms are now painting the cars better than the humans can. Far faster and far better. Just just your daily update of one more job to add to the, the shit can. Car painters. The next one from Craig Nielsen sends this one in about the World Economic Forum warns of cyber attack that will collapse existing financial system. So we can, and believe it or not, I have even a more cheerful note to leave us all on. 
uh, a report published by World Economic Forum and Carnegie Cyber Policy Initiative calls for the merging of Wall Street banks, their regulators, and intelligence agencies as necessary to confront an allegedly imminent cyber attack that will collapse the existing financial system. World Economic Forum and Carnegie Endowment for International Peace co-produced a report that warned that the global financial system was increasingly vulnerable to cyber attacks. Advisors to the group that produced the report included representatives from the Federal Reserve, the Bank of England, the International Monetary Fund, Wall Street giants like J.P. Morgan, and Silicon Valley behemoths like Amazon. The ominous report was published just months after the World Economic Forum had conducted a simulation of that very event, a cyber attack that brings down the global financial system to its knees in a partnership with Russia's largest bank, which is due to jumpstart the country's economic digital transformation with the launch of its own central bank digital currency. Good times. <laughs> They're going to shut down the banking system. You might, you might want to think about that because the biggest room in all of clubhouse at this very moment Normally, we're the largest room, but we're going to finish in two minutes. So we're currently the third largest room. The number one room is in Clubhouse. It's not a conspiracy. Food shortages. Time to prepare. Because people are reporting that their stores are lacking food. By the way, that whole process of the shipping bottlenecks that are causing these food shortages is just starting. And we read a headline in here yesterday that should really cause everyone to wake up. And here's what it said. It was a letter written by all of the seafarers, 50,000 of them, who ride on the big shipping container ships that bring you all of the stuff that people are importing and exporting from around the world. And they wrote a letter to all of the world's leaders at the UN General Assembly, warning them that shit's about to get real y'all because we're about to quit because we traditionally historically work on short-term contracts because we know how long the boat's going to be going for across the Atlantic that's six weeks across the Pacific that's five weeks great I can book a bunch of different contracts with a bunch of different boats but now that boats are being stuck off in the oceans off of ports for many months as if they're on a floating prison and then they're missing their children's graduations and birthdays and anniversaries and everything else. And here comes Christmas. And they said, hell no, we're not going to sit on Christmas on a fucking boat off the coast of, you know, Pakistan. So no, thank you. We're quitting. So Better. guess what? I'm, you I, you I, think I'm this listening. food shortage is bad now? You have seen nothing yet. You've not seen 1% of it. Netta? I was just going to say, I live right, you know, I'm right by the Bosphorus. So every day I look at, and, you know, for the past few years, I see these ships literally just coming and going daily in front of my eyes. I have noticed, noticeably seen uh, much less numbers and, and much, you know, much less movement than usual. So, I mean, I'm seeing it in front of my eyes. And I, at this point, I recognize the ships that pass by and, you know, the names and, you know, who's coming in empty, who's going out. I mean, and it's just I'm totally noticing it right now in front of my eyes right now. Okay. Nada, I was in um, near Bosporus on Saturday having dinner there. Wow. Professor Asif, you should have let me know. I'm here next time you yeah, come Yeah, I didn't here. know that. If I'd known, I would. Yep, I'm right here. So, on the... 
on the on the super let's leave on a really positive note here this last one's from Reuters that the UN weather agency warns of water crisis without urgent reforms global water resource management is fragmented and inadequate and countries should urgently adopt reforms to ramp up financing and boost cooperation on emergency warning systems ahead of the looming water crisis the UN weather agency said on Tuesday that's today according to Reuters Climate change is expected to increase water-related hazards such as droughts and floods, while the number of people living with water stress is expected to soar due to growing scarcity and population growth, the report warned. We need to wake up to the looming water crisis, says Pateri Talis, Security Secretary General of the United Nations World Meteorological Organization, the State of Climate Services 2021 Water, a collaboration between the WMO, International Organizations, Development Agencies, and Scientific Institutions estimates that the number of people with inadequate access to water will top 5 billion by 2050. Do you still think you're going to have enough water? Unless you're in Scandinavia, you will not. Or if you're in Wales... There are multiple technologies that can change this and also make an impact on uh, climate change to avoid this. Let's get working. <laughs> Let's get cracking. Uh, I, I am. Can, can, can I make a, a quick plug? Yeah. So uh, tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific time, I'm holding a room in Small Steps and Giant Leaps on the idea of putting something between the Earth and the Sun at Lagrange Point 1, where the gravitational fields roughly cancel, uh, to to block off just enough sunlight to counterbalance uh, the additional heating due to radiative forcing due to greenhouse gases. And this is absolutely not a solution to climate change, but it is a clutch play to buy us time, along with other things that are, are, are um, along the lines of solar radiation management, to buy us time until we can get it together and scale up the important things that we know we need to do, uh, like getting onto renewable energy completely and uh, uh, scaling up uh, carbon dioxide removal from the atmosphere and from the ocean uh, so that we are not in this predicament. Interesting. Awesome. Yes, sir. Um, and uh, so on the note of, uh, you, I think I've mentioned it to you before. So I discovered just recently that 71% of the global emission is produced by the 100 biggest companies in the world. So oh, it's, it's more like half or by is, the top 10. Yeah. The, it's, there's yeah, a, so, so, yes. Uh, you know, we're all doing our bit of separating up plastic and paper. Yeah, you no, know, but this is a faulty line of thinking because those companies are just power companies that provide your power grids in your country. The top one is the China, a large Chinese company and a big Russian company and a big Saudi Arabian company and a big American company. They're just providing power to your grids. So you have to lower the, the, they're not themselves just spitting it into the air for no reason. So, so just to finish the, the point that I, poor marketing skills, um, the link to that room should be at the bottom of my profile. Yeah, but yeah, you're right that, that, you know, it's a handful of these massive power companies that are contributing the most CO2.
But I mean, it's hundred companies. What well, that's yep. what the uh, well, no, it's worse than that. It's that you can take the top ten are fifty percent of all climate emissions. Ten companies, but they're doing it for a very good reason because you're asking for them to give you power for your house. AC. Okay. I think the, the desalination uh, uh, effort and technologies are going to start ramping up uh, with your uh, report on, on that water shortage. I've been screaming the water shortage thing, as everyone in, who's been here from the beginning knows from the beginning. That the, it's called water stress. And I've, I, it's great to see that stat was in Reuters today from the UN because I've said exactly that stat three, four, five months ago in this room about the growing water stress rates uh, are, will blow your mind. It's currently 15% today have what's called water stress, which is defined as not having adequate daily wa you know, water. And that 15% will go to uh, over to 66% by 2050, which is the 5 billion. Massive migrations. Ma exactly. Exactly. As I've said, as I've said, you're going to have massive climate migrations. More so Within due... the country, right? More so, countries. Yes, everywhere. But you can look on a map, as I've said at least 10 times now, for the word water stress map. Google those words. You'll see the map. And then you'll see who's going to be most impacted. I'll give you a hint. It's everything across the Sahara all across the Middle East through the Teklamekan Desert, all the way to Western China. It's this huge red swath. And that's that piece alone, the most extreme, is 55 million people who all happen to be Muslim, who Europe doesn't want even one more million of them. It took one, the one million that came out of Syria took Europe on its knees politically. And now we got 55 million more who can't go into India because of the border between Pakistan and India, who can't go into China. You think they're going to climb the Himalayas and go join their friends, the Uyghurs in China? I'm a little, call me skeptical. You think that they can't go into Europe? They won't accept them. Their only choice is to go into Africa at the moment. So you, you need to create a, a niche VC fund that will appeal to xenophobes to, to fund uh, desal and atmospheric water generation. <laughs> you worried about Muslims? Let's fund desal. <laughs> and funny. Africa, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is the only continent that is increasing in population as a percentage or something. Uh, they have the highest growth, yeah. Yeah, the highest growth. So, um, it re really, what we have to do with Africa is transfer a lot of technology and and uh, and all these yep. innovations that we were talking about before. Okay, so that it's really sure. the future. Okay, Cheryl, where are we headed next? Yep, we are heading to tech news around Africa. Okay, great. <laughs> I will segue. see you there. Perfect you segue. All righty. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you.